0: Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, a weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. Clark Corbin is on vacation this week, still, but I hope you stick around because we have a good podcast ahead. I'll be talking to J.J. Salvagna from the Idaho Commission on Hispanic Affairs. We're going to break down the debate over the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Act, better known as DACA, a hot immigration issue, and we're going to talk about how that affects potentially 3,100 Idahoans. But first, let's take a look at some headlines. This week, we took a deep dive looking at the Idaho Reading Indicator scores from this spring. And what we tried to do with this story is look at how the scores from this year compared to 2016, and how the scores compared to benchmark goals that schools set at the beginning of the school year. This is a big year for the reading, for reading scores because this is the first year of Idaho's literacy initiative. The state is putting $11.25 million into reading to try to help at-risk kids get up to reading level. So what we tried to do with these reading scores was take a look at what happened in this first year of the reading initiative and how those scores compared to the previous year before the initiative took effect. And we wanted to look at the benchmark goals to see whether schools met up with the goals that schools set for themselves at the beginning of the school year the summary most scores did not line up with the benchmark goals but in some cases we found schools that didn't even set benchmark goals and some schools that didn't even submit reading plans to the state at all even though the state required them there's a lot of data here trust me I, I worked on the story for uh, for several weeks there's a lot there to unwrap we have all of the data available at my story at Idaho Head News You can download the data, check it out for yourself, see what happened in your local schools, see what happened in your local communities, and also take a look at the money that came into schools to fund the first year of the reading initiative. It's an in-depth story, a lot to get to, that I'm not going to get to in this podcast. Check out the story for yourself at idahoednews.org. In other news, Count David Leroy among the Idaho politicians who would like to get rid of the U.S. Department of Education. In a recent interview with idaho education news leroy said that he would prefer to see the department of education dismantled to a sub-cabinet level which is what the department of education was before it became a freestanding department with a cabinet secretary overseeing it david leroy is one of three prominent republican candidates running in the first congressional district the seat currently held by gubernatorial candidate Raul Labrador. And if you recall earlier this year, Congressman Labrador signed onto a bill that would eliminate the U.S. Department of Education. Our interview with David Leroy is part of a series of stories that we're working on this fall, talking to the candidates in this very hotly contested 2018 election, trying to dig down deeper into their positions on education topics. You can read my story, my interview with David Leroy, and previous stories all at IdahoEdNews.org. And do check in at IdahoEdNews.org because there's a lot more there to read this week. Meet Idaho's Teacher of the Year, she was named earlier this week, and also check out coverage from Friday's meeting of the State Higher Education Task Force. Again, all of that is at IdahoEdNews.org. And now for this week's interview. The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program is better known as DACA. And over the past 10 days, DACA has become something of a household word in American politics. The Trump administration wants to eliminate this Obama-era immigration policy and eliminate the legal protections that it affords to some 800,000 Americans, including 3,100 Idahoans. But DACA is not yet dead because the elimination of DACA won't go into effect for six months, because the Trump administration is hoping that Congress will take some action on this immigration issue. And as we record this, it appears that the administration and congressional Democrats are trying to get closer to a deal to keep DACA on the books. So what does all this mean for Idahoans? And what is the climate of uncertainty surrounding this policy? Let's take a closer look. And joining me this week is JJ Saldana. He is the uh, community resource development specialist for the Idaho Commission on Hispanic Affairs, JJ, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm glad to have you here because I wanted to, uh, to talk and kind of break down the DACA issue. Uh, get a sense of what's unfolded here in the past week and what the implications are uh, for, for students, for school staff, and for, you know, for DACA recipients around the state. Give me a sense of this from a from an education standpoint. What, what are the impacts for schools and, and school employees?
1: Well, there's a lot of um, worries about the unknown. That's what's really um, scary right now. There's 3,100 students here in Idaho that are going to be affected. Um, so right now it's a lot of weight. But I think what's really great is I've seen a lot of our community organizing community groups have stepped up. A lot of lawyers have stepped up to say that they're gonna offer some pro bono work to help these students through. Um, All the universities and colleges are saying that they're going to go ahead and fight and help try to convince Congress to not get rid of DACA. So I think there's a lot of positive stuff. There was rallies all over the state this last weekend. Um, The one here at the Capitol was huge. I I was surprised to see such a huge turnout, and it was amazing. It was about a
0: thousand, I think. I I think there was more than that, um,
1: because it was the whole Capitol steps, and then Capitol Park had some people on there too. So it was it was a pretty cool thing, and to hear these young students actually come out and talk about their successes. These are students who are, you know, trying to get their, um, and you know, become engineers. They're trying to become doctors, so it, they're doing some great stuff. These kids don't have um, anything. You know, they've done background checks on 99% of these students, mm-hmm. and so they're great kids, and they're just trying to live the American dream. mm mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned the uncertainty, and and that's got to be the biggest thing that you're working through at the commission, what people are working through at the community level. How do you work with people when you're dealing with such an uncertain situation? Because DACA isn't gone yet, and this is still up uh, for debate in Congress.
1: We try to um, give them what we do know as far as um, statistics and what they also need to, to do. Like, for example, if it's about to renew, there, it's time for renewal. They have to renew right away because after October 5th, they cannot renew it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so things like that, hooking them up with um, attorneys. With um, There's a lot of nonprofit organizations for, like Catholic Charities of Idaho, the Community Council of Idaho, who are working with these people pro bono. There's, like I said, several um, attorneys across the state who have offered pro bono services. So getting them in touch with them So because each individual has their own um, thing that they need to work through, so not everybody's the same. And then trying to calm fears, and that's the hardest part right now because there's a lot of unknown, and people are scared, rightfully so, so trying to keep them calm is probably our biggest challenge. And
0: and probably convincing people to re-register right now is probably a difficult challenge because uh, naturally there's probably some fear of re-registering providing information that might be used. Well, that's uh, one of
1: the biggest fears is they've, you know, they've trusted the government and they gave out all their information. And so now they're like, do I want to give it to them again? And so, but, you know, but they need to re-register by October 5th if, if they want to continue qualifying for DACA.
0: There's been so much said about the trump administration's decision and so much reaction to it in the past week i mean this has become a a very big issue and it's been been widely reported as you watch the reporting and as you watch kind of the reactions what are the misperceptions from your from your point of view What what are people not understanding about this uh this executive order? The,
1: they're one they're, These are students that are taking jobs. They're not taking jobs from anybody. These, um, that they're criminals. They're not criminals. They Like I said, they have background checks, 99% of them. Um, most of these um, students, the majority of them are paying taxes, but they don't get any benefits as um, they're not citizens like you and I get benefits and that we can qualify for. They don't qualify for a lot of these things. So um, it's a win for them because they now can apply to get like a driver's license. And then with that, they are able to get car insurance, which makes safer roads. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was reading through some stuff and Idaho is going to lose 159.5 million dollars in GDP which is the gross domestic product um, a year with by um, getting rid of DACA students so there's a lot to lose there these people are contributing to our society they're contributing to things and they're living the American dream like I said they're studying to be doctors they're starting to be engineers um, majority of these students are st- going into STEM related fields which is so important for us right now
0: a lot of the debate seems to be about the process and, and who makes the decision about what this policy should be. Should it be an executive order? Should it be an act of Congress? I mean, it, it, is there some validity to the argument that this should be something that Congress weighs in on and settles?
1: I I guess so. I think. Um... They need to, I mean, it's a very tough situation across the board, not just with DACA students, but immigration is just a very tough thing that nobody's been able to work on, it seems like, since I can remember. Um, but the, there needs to be some kind of solution. I think it, what needs to happen is we need to have people working from both sides of the aisles together and not just, um saying this side or that side. Um, and they need to treat these people like human beings, really, um, you know, instead of saying they're criminals or this, these are people who were brought over here, you know, as children. Mm-hmm. And so all they know is the American culture. They don't know other cultures. They, The mo- majority of them speak English only. And so by sending them back to a country that they're from, they don't know that language. They don't know that culture. And they probably don't even have family over there anymore.
0: Because in a lot of cases, we're not talking about sending uh, sending people back to a country that they've... They weren't born there. They may never set foot in this country. Yeah. So you're talking about sending sending back you know, people who live in America to countries where they know nothing about the job market, they know nothing about the school system.
1: Yeah. And like I said, a lot of them don't even know the language that they're being sent back to. So it's a very scary thing. And like I said, I keep re- repeating this, but they've all had background checks. So we know mm-hmm. that they're not criminals. We know that they're not doing anything. They're paying their taxes now that they've been registered under DACA. Um, so... Like I said, it's. I'm not sure what the real meaning is. I agree. I was reading your article with um, Superintendent Sherry Barr. And this is a really scary thing, and it's going to misplace a lot of students.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I noticed that, that was one of the reactions that kind of jumped out at me. Uh, uh, Superintendent Barra not supporting or condemning what the Trump administration did last week, but instead saying, you know, this does create a lot of uncertainty for, for students uh, right at the beginning of a school year. And, you know, it's... Uh hers was kind of noncommittal in terms of the, the pros and cons of what the, the administration did.
1: Yeah. And I can see why she has to I mean she has to work with everybody <laughs> and she has to work with all students and so she does a really good job with that. Um I've known her since she was a principal out in Mountain Home. And so I know how she works with students and I know how she works specifically with Hispanic students and she used to her school was like a 92% poverty level school and they had probably like it was 80% of them more Hispanic. She's bilingual. She's fluent. I love hearing her talk in Spanish, by the way. But um, she's um, she's fully committed to working with all students regardless.
0: So now you're in kind of a wait-and-see mode, I'm sure, wondering what's going to happen in, in Congress in the, in the next six months. I'm sure you're in touch with folks uh, watching this more closely from Capitol Hill. What's the early read of the tone of what's being talked about in Congress, the approach that's being taken in Congress?
1: We really haven't um, been hearing a lot from our, um, because our local Congress supported this. So Mm -hmm. we really haven't been in touch with them because we already know where they're at on this. We're really just paying attention right now what's happening. We have partners with... um, national organizations that are keeping us up front. Um, We work with the United States Hispanic Leadership Institute and the National Council of La Raza and um, the Hispanic Pew and all these other people who are sending us information every day, so it's kind of hard to keep up with all that right now. Um, But right now, what we're... It's mainly dealing with local Idaho students is what we're really working. Mm -hmm. Our office since that day has been bombarded with phone calls, and um, we've been trying to put them in touch with the right people. Uh, Obviously, we're we're an office of three, and we don't have all the resources, but we um, have the connections to who they can be working with and depending on what part of the state they're in.
0: And what are you hearing in those phone calls from those students? I mean, what can you kind of share about sort of the – The human stories that that you're hearing on the other end of the phone?
1: There's a lot of fear. That's the first thing that comes across is that, you know, they're like, so now what's going to happen to me? I've given all, I've already given all my information over to the government. They know everywhere, who I am, where I am, so are they just going to Now that they have all this information, just round us up and send us. That's what the biggest fear is. That, and a lot of these people are thirty years and well, all of them are under thirty. And a lot of these students, you know, a lot, the majority of them here from Idaho are freshmen, sophomore in college, so they're still young. They're just right now starting out to, you know, trying to fulfill their their dreams. So it's kind of it's just soul breaking, you know, heartbreaking, to hear their stories saying, you know, I worked really hard, you know. They had to work extra hard before they got DACA just to be able mm-hmm. to qualify for scholarships that weren't government funded so they could go to school. Mm-hmm. And so they've already worked really hard to keep up their GPAs and get to and get into a college. And then with DACA, it helped them be able to, you know, actually get into a state college with, you know, with an actual social security number. And now they're wondering if all that work that they've done is going to be just taken away and with all that MVP work was for nothing. Right?
0: Yeah. So... Watching this uh, from afar, watching what what Congress is talking about, uh, are you concerned that uh, DACA is going to get caught up in a much larger debate about you know, much larger immigration policy, which is something that that Congress has wrestled with for thirty I, years? I hope
1: not. Um, I think what I'm seeing on a national level is a lot of our congressmen from both sides of the aisle have a heart when it comes to these students and these students. Um, they've, you know, I've seen a lot of. People on the right and on the left um, reaching out to the president saying, why didn't, before he made the announcement, telling him not to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I'm hopeful with our Congress. I really am hopeful that they will be um, able to come to something, especially with immigration as a whole, but um, specifically with DACA. Okay.
0: Um, do you have a sense at this point of um, we get to six months and this issue is still? Uh, unresolved what what would that look like or what could that look like in the communities what could that look like in the schools
1: well i think that's really scary if nothing happens in those six months where does that leave those these students specifically Where, um you know i know that like president custer has said we're here to protect you but what Mm -hmm. happens is he still going to be there to protect them after those six months we don't know um hopefully um you know there's some these colleges are able to do something to help these students because i don't think that they want to also let these students go um it's it's just scary all around because we don't know what's going to happen in six months we hope that something happens in six months um i know that president trump says that he will work on something if nothing is accomplished but again what would he be able Mm -hmm. to work on
0: you mentioned president custer and his comments uh, last week and even before that, you've had university presidents from, from all over the country come out saying, "Keep this program in place. We, we want these students mm-hmm. protected. We want these students on our campuses." Has it been more of a top of mind issue at the higher education level than at the K twelve level? Mm-hmm. Even though you've got you've got people, you've got kids affected I think, I on both the, levels.
1: The students in K twelve don't really realize. All the logistics and everything that's going through—it's their parents that I think are more um, in fear. Um, If you look at the rallies that happened this last weekend all over, it was very, very youth-focused. It was very youth. um, It was organized by a lot of the younger people. It wasn't—you didn't see um, the traditional um, people that are usually at Hispanic rallies. It was really done by a lot of these college students. They're the ones that made. They are the ones that organized it. They were the ones that were speaking. some of the kids that spoke at the one here in Boise, uh, you know, they were um, capital high school graduates. She said, you know, I want to be an engineer. Why are you trying to take my American dream from me? And she's talked about how she, since she's gotten DACA, she's been able to get a driver's license. She's now pays her taxes and she's debt free. And um, that's what's scary for a lot of the college students. When it comes to K through 12, I think these students don't have, I don't think they, we've heard their voices. I think that there is a lot of fear from the from the parents that we're getting, but I don't think that we've actually heard from a lot of them. There's a high school student who has been featured in local media. I can't remember where we're at right now, but he also spoke at this event. He's been working really hard because he wants to get into college, and he was told that he had to work extra hard because he didn't qualify for a lot of these scholarships. So he's a senior right now out in, in Caldwell or Valley View. I can't, sorry, I don't know. I can't remember mm-hmm. which one, but... Um, so there's fear from I think K through 20, um, and the fear is the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen. Um, are they just going to ship them out? Are they? Is there going to be some kind of humane way that they're, they they want to do this? Um, it's just there's a lot of fear, and then it you know when you people reading these different blogs and stuff, the responses to these um, things does I don't think helps either.
0: Mm-hmm. Lots of uncertainty about what it, what it looks like if something comes out of Congress, but what, what the process looks like in six months if Congress doesn't act.
1: And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of these different states suing the president. I think the last count was 14. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But um, so I think... In Idaho, we, on the other hand, has yeah, been threatening to sue if DACA yeah. was And so that's where I think a lot of the uncertainty, is, you know, with these lawsuits. Is it going to take longer than the six months then? Because you know how courts work. They don't work at a very fast pace.
0: Yeah. JJ, thank you for joining us thank and, you. and putting this into some perspective for our listeners.
1: Thank you. I love coming here. You know, I listen to you guys every Friday. <laughs> it's good to have you here as always. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks.
0: And that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Clark Corbin will be stateside, supposedly, next week. And he'll be here for next week's edition of Extra Credit. In the meantime, follow us at idahoednews.org for the latest news. Follow us on Facebook at Idaho Education News and join the conversation there. And for breaking news, follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. And we'll be back next Friday with another edition of Extra Credit. In the meantime, I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week.